Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. Every Wednesday, we discuss all things dogs, from health and veterinary care to training and behavior science. Follow us and join Good Dog's mission to build a better world for our dogs and the people who love them. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Good Dog Pod. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Delgado. Last week, we were fortunate enough to have Dr. Robert Hutchison, also affectionately known as Hutch on a webinar at Good Dog. And today we thought it'd be fun to present some of the highlights from our conversation with him. He answered questions for us for an hour. We'll just be presenting part of that recording, but if you'd like to check out the whole thing, we have the link in the show notes to the webinar. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. I am Dr. Michael Delgado. I'm very excited to introduce Dr. Hutchison, who probably needs no introduction, but I'm just going to briefly tell you a little bit about his many accomplishments. He's a reproduction and genetics consultant for the Veterinary Information Network, also known as VIN. He is the co-director of the Animal Clinic Northview Incorporated in North Ridgeville, Ohio. He is the president of the International Canine Semen Bank of Ohio, and he's also written many articles on canine reproduction in leading breed journals and magazines. Among many other accomplishments, he is wildly popular with our community, so we're always happy to have him here. Just to let you know, we got almost 100 questions ahead of time from all of you, so we're going to do our best to get through as many of them as possible. So I'm going to just jump right in and start asking the questions. Welcome, Dr. Hutchison. Well, it's great. I see some of my friends are already logged on here, but nice. I cannot think of a better way to spend a November Wednesday afternoon than discussing this with you. So again, thank you for having me here, and hopefully you'll ask the right questions and I'll answer with the right answers. So good. Well, let's start with one about line breeding. How mm-hmm. close is too close for line breeding? What's a uh, no-no what? and what's okay? The answer is there is no answer because it depends upon what genes you're dealing with. Mm. Let's think about it. If you have the perfect dog, what do you want to do? You want to clone it, which is the ultimate inbreeding. So many times people have a misnomer of inbreeding's bad, outcrossing is good, line breeding may or may not be good. But the answer is it really comes down to what genetics you're dealing with. Because if you have a good solid line with health and you aren't dealing with a lot of issues, then many times it's mistaken thought that, geez, I'm doing something evil, therefore I need to outcross, is a wrong thing. Because many times you're bringing in other people's problems. Line breeding is just saying, okay, in my pedigree, there's a dog or a certain group of dogs that I want to concentrate on. And the way you think about it is, When you look and say, okay, what are my strong points and what are my weak points? So if you have a number of weak points and inbreeding or even line breeding, probably is not going to get rid of those. So maybe you need to outcross. But just to say that inbreeding is bad, many times inbreeding, if you've accomplished what you want to, then many times that's the way you maintain it. Now, the one thing that I think if people get confused about is, When you're inbreeding, you're concentrating recessive traits. That's why you're getting consistency in what you're getting. But many of the defects that we don't want are also recessive traits. Retained testicles, cleft palates, umbilical hernias, some of the heart diseases are just recessive traits. So when you're inbreeding, you're concentrating recessive traits. And sometimes you find out there's things that you don't want to continue on with. 
On the other hand, just this mistaken thought that I'm going out and breed my dog to your dog because it's an outcross that we're going to accomplish great things. One of the things you see with outcrossing is you get no consistency Mm. because you're concentrating the dominant traits. And that's why then many times when people say, okay, well, I outcross, but no two look alike. The colors are different. The sizes are different. So then you start refining from there. So it's really the bottom line answer to that question, which is a great question, is the fact that you need to know the gene pools you're drawing from to determine, is this something I need to maintain? Do I need to go out and find another dog that maybe has a better length of leg, for example, that we need to bring in? Or is there a certain group of dogs, which is my mental. And oftentimes, that's a lot of what we look for. In your mind, if I say a breed, English Sprinter, everybody has a picture that pops in their mind, but they're not all the same. But if that's what you're thinking of, and that's the dogs you want to breed, that's where line breeding comes in. Because you go back and you find out previous generations, you can find a stud dog that also is maybe a little higher concentrated on that dog. But one last thing is how you determine what you're doing is you figure you look at a five-generation pedigree. 50% of the genes come from the father, 50% from the mother, 25 from each of the grandparents, 12 and a half from each of the great-grandparents, and on down from there. So when you start adding up the times a certain dog appears in that pedigree, many times in a line breeding, you get it where that dog is supplying as many genes as what the grandfather is whether that's good or bad. So you have to know your lines. You have to know your pedigrees to just say inbreeding, outcrossing, line breeding. They're just words. They're not things to live by or against. Great. Now, another question about challenges with breeding. We got some questions about size discrepancies between breeding dogs. One question was, if a small size lab bitch has a difficult birth due to the size of the puppies, would using a smaller sized male help? Usually not. Again, that comes back to our genes and what we see and what we don't see. Normally, normally where I'm getting problems with big puppies that the bitch can't pass is because of a small liver. Because the bitch actually controls the space she can give the puppies and the amount of nutrition. So when people say to me when they're going to do a breeding, is she going to need a C-section? The answer is, tell me how many puppies she's going to have. If she has two puppies, the answer is, statistically, she's going to need a C-section. If she has six, eight puppies, probably not. Now, there are certain lines that do produce bigger puppies if you look at average birth weights, different things like that. So there is some knowledge, again, going into it. But especially when a smaller bitch is bred to a bigger male, Usually the bitch only has so much room, only so much nutrition, so the puppies aren't a factor. And again, with some of the crosses we're doing now, transcervicals, you know, are being done because of the fact that the males can't breed the females, especially with some of the smaller males. But just to say, wow, this is going to be a problem, you can't say that. But really the thing to sum it up that makes the biggest difference to me is the number of puppies. If you have one or two puppies, they're not going to trigger the bitch to go into labor. They're not going to have competition for space and nutrition. They're usually going to go a day or two over because they don't trigger the bitch to go into labor. Mm -hmm. So that's usually where size becomes a problem rather than the genetics. Okay, that's very helpful. We're getting some questions about dogs who are not going into heat. What do you do? Well, that's a tough thing right now in the fact that 
what keeps a bitch from coming in season is some bitches are just later than others having their first cycle. So I really don't become panicked until a bitch reaches 24 full months of age without a heat cycle before I become concerned about it. If a bitch has had a heat cycle, then I expect the next one to be within a year. Some are nine, 10 months are just normal. All bitches across the world, I think the average is seven months between heat cycles. So when a bitch ovulates, the progesterone stays up for two months, and then it drops back down the baseline, as we all know. So why does the bitch not come back into season? And that's because there's another hormone in the brain called prolactin that maintains the rest of that interval till she's ready to come into season six months or seven months or whatever afterwards. So one of the things that we will do on a bitch who has cycled previously and then is not cycling again is put them on a product called cabergolin, which is an antiprolactin drug. Now, that does not induce a heat cycle. But what it does do is it actually, by lowering prolactin, says to the bitch, if you're being kept out of season because of prolonged prolactin, then you ought to come into season. And 70% of them do. And I love those heat cycles because those are normal heat cycles. They're not induced. Now, what I lived by for years and years is there was a 2.1 milligram Deslorelin implant we were using. And we had FDA approval for that, and that's not being manufactured now. And that was fabulous because the bitch would come in season in five to seven days. She'd ovulate in five to seven days. I mean, it was magic. I mean, you could time bitches the way you wanted them to. And those are not being produced or readily available right now. The only Desilorelin implants in the United States right now are 4.7, which is only for ferrets. It's black box listed that it is against the law to use these in any species other than ferrets. And I won't use them because it's not ethical to use them. But I'm hoping we can get the 2.1s back because those really were the things. So the things that don't make a bitch come into season. You know, we used to think thyroid. We know thyroid really has very little, if anything, to do with reproduction. So low thyroid is not going to cause a bitch not to come into season. Stress could. So if a bitch is being campaigned heavily, if a bitch is in a situation heavy stress, if for some reason she's on steroids or she's cushionoid, that could stop a bitch from coming into season because it feeds back to the pituitary. Some bitches, you know, will have ovarian situations. We'll see bitches probably more commonly is bitches that will come into season and not ovulate and then they'll go back out of season. And if they're Normal, there's what's called a split cycle, common in northern breeds. And those bitches will come back in season, and usually six to eight weeks, that'll be the ovulatory cycle. You can breed them. You just have to be aware which is the ovulatory, which is the non-ovulatory. But if we have a bitch who came into season, her progesterone got up to, you know, two to six nanograms, which would be six to 18 nanomoles, and then went back down and didn't ovulate. If she did that a second time, then we're ultrasounding, looking at her ovaries, cat scanning, looking to see if she has cystic ovaries or something like that. The cysts on the ovaries are progesterone producing. If you aspirate these cysts many times, the progesterone that you draw will be 400 nanograms, which would be 1,200 nanomoles. And it's negative feedback. It's why the bitch doesn't come into season. So once again, everything, just like we talked about, why does the male not breed the bitch? Why is it she have to have a diagnosis? 
There's nothing that arbitrarily you go, poof, you'll come into season, poof, your sperm is normal, poof this. You have to have a diagnosis. So when people say to me, my male, he's having bad sperm, what's the treatment? I don't know what's wrong with him. I mean, it's just like anything else. If a dog's coughing, does he have kennel cough or heart failure? Sure. Okay. All right, everyone, you are listening to the Good Dog Pod. We'll be right back. Good Dog's Breeding Foundations course provides expert advice on pedigrees, genetics, contracts, and everything else you need to set your breeding program up for success. This course usually costs $245, but you can access it for free when you join Good Dog today. Click the link in the show notes to learn more. Well, let's talk about pre-breeding exams. What's the best time to do a pre-breeding exam and a brucellosis test on a maiden bitch? Well, basically on a maiden bitch, oftentimes we'll run the brucellosis when we do the first progesterone because we have quick turnaround on that. Usually that's the same time that we'll go ahead, check vaginally, make sure there's not a stricture or a band. Otherwise, you want to be sure the bitch is in good weight, but there's not a whole lot to do in a bitch pre-breeding. Vaginal cultures, which used to be so popular in the 80s, we now know are just a waste of money. Thyroid, which we used to do all the time, we now know is just a waste of money. So basically, all you want to do is be sure the bitch is healthy, be sure she doesn't have a vaginal stricture, do her brucellosis, and that's pretty much makes up a pre-breeding exam. In a pre-breeding exam on a bitch that's either had a litter, missed a litter, then it starts coming in, you know, if she had a litter and everything's working well, we probably do pretty much the same, do the brucellosis, do the progesterone, talk about the male you're using, what's his semen look like. If the bitch has missed before, then we start going down our checklist, you know, was the semen good? How did you time it? Was it a natural breeding? Was it an AI you did with a turkey baster in your garage? You know, different things like that. And those are the ones that would come down many times. So we'll even may do a uterine biopsy, something like that, looking again for a diagnosis. So there's just not a whole heck of a lot you need to do in a bitch pre-breeding other than the things we mentioned. Okay. This leads very nicely to the next topic. We got a lot of questions about routine antibiotic use during pregnancy. You know, people mentioned hearing that since bitches lose litters due to bacterial infections, should they just be given routine antibiotics prior to breeding and or during pregnancy? Well, let me answer that as I would answer it, I guess. First of all, vaginal bacteria is not a cause of bitches missing. So all these routine things we used to do, culturing and coming up with antibiotics is worthless. And there was a study out of Europe, a very extensive study, where they found out that vaginal bacteria and pre-breeding antibiotics and all that made no difference, either one iota in either conception rate or litter sizes. So that's one. Second of all, bacteria is not a big cause of puppies being lost during pregnancy and not a big cause of bitches missing. And what made me realize this? is I do an extensive amount of uterine biopsies. And I do these uterine biopsies at about the time the puppies would be due. And these are bitches where everything was perfect. The semen looked good, the progesterone was good, they ovulate and all that. So I was really curious at the time when I started doing this, was I gonna find mycoplasma? Remember back when mycoplasma was the big to-do? I mean, wow. And then was I going to find E. coli? Was I going to find staph strep? Was I going to find some 
weird bacteria? And the answer is, when you do these uterine biopsies of mist and you do an intrauterine culture, so these are bitches that missed where everything was perfect, you never grow anything. You never grow anything. And after a time, after the first two, three, four hundred of these, I said to myself, well, if all these bacteria that we worry about pre-breeding and culturing are so worrisome, where are are they? they? (laughs) Where are they? They're not there. So there was a study, and this is something that we'll do on older bitches, that on certain bitches, it seemed in this study where they showed that pre-breeding antibiotics made no difference, that they found that certain bitches, the conception rates went up 12% on bitches who were put on antibiotics after breeding for 10 days. And the theory behind this is, is that the bacteria we know when the cervix is open pass through into the uterus. They pass back and forth. This is known fact. And they actually attach to the lining of the uterus. E. coli actually has a numbered attachment site. And then the body removes them. The body comes in what's called phagotization. The body eats them up and gets rid of them. And where you have extreme inflammation is when you end up with bitches with pyometritis. And that is where you have a secondary infection but you can't prevent pyometritis with antibiotics. You can't cure it with antibiotics. It's caused by progesterone. So anyways, if you say I'm putting them on antibiotics to prevent pyometritis, it doesn't happen. But anyways, in these bitches where we thought maybe it made a difference putting them on after breeding was to say if we lowered the number of bacteria, especially E. coli, that the body had to remove, and we know that our main goal in the bitch is keeping uterine inflammation, which is caused by progesterone, to a minimum. That maybe if we reduce the number of bacteria that the body has to remove, would this subsequently reduce the irritation of the uterus itself? So that's where sometimes we use them after breeding. We use none pre-breeding. Bitches, you know, we used to put them on for full pregnancy, and now we look back and say, wow, is that crazy? You know, what's the study actually show if you put bitches on a lot of antibiotics during pregnancy, the puppies have a decreased immune system. So if a bitch, let's say, gets a bladder infection during pregnancy, you can use amoxicillin, clavamox, you can use cephalexins, you can use Batril. These are all extremely safe antibiotics. But to just put them on it for breeding is not something that would really be suggested. Okay. Are radiographs safe during pregnancy? You got some questions about pros and cons yeah. of x-rays versus ultrasounds. The answer is yes, if they're properly done. Now, if you have a bitch who is pregnant and let's say she's diagnosed with an osteosarcoma and needs radiation therapy, radiation is dangerous. If you're talking about that little split second x-ray that you take to find out how many pups are coming, that's totally safe. I talked to my radiologist about that, oh, a number of years ago, and he said, really, people don't realize their television sets and all that give off more radiation in a split second digital x-ray, which is columnated down. But in my lifetime, by knowing puppies that should be coming, by knowing how many are there and them not showing up, we've saved an awful lot of puppies to make an awful lot of extra litters. And we probably saved an awful lot of bitches for becoming toxic and septic by knowing. So to me, the x-raying for numbers is probably as important as breeding them, in all honesty. But there was that big thing about, oh, is ultrasound 
dangerous? And I said to people, you know, people ask me those kind of questions. I say, okay, so if we take an ultrasound and go to the animal shelter, an ultrasound, all the bitches, would the pet overpopulation problem be solved? And they say, well, no, that's ridiculous. Uh, it is ridiculous. So sometimes it's like, can bitches swim? You know, all that kind of stuff. Yes. Actually, it's difficult to get rid of puppies in a pregnant bitch if you want to. I mean, so that's why you say trauma and all that people. Oh, she fell off the bed. Is she going to lose the puppies? No. So the answer is, again, follow through. What makes sense? Your breeding individuals are totally different than mine or yours or the person next door. So you have to look and say, okay, what is my problem? You can't go on the internet and say, okay, wow, I'm going to buy these supplements because I'm not a supplementer because in my 45 years of doing this, I can't think I ever saw a bitch that missed conception because she was under supplemented. But I've seen a lot of them are probably over supplemented. So, you know, the thing is you have to say, find out what is the problem. Is it genetic? Is it something like that? And work on your own problem instead of going on the internet because what is somebody else's problem? And maybe a quick, if you don't mind, I just wanted to put this in, is that there are certain breeds right now that we really are concerned about. Should that breed be spayed? And these are the ones we think are probably genetically carrying the sarcoma gene, osteosarcoma, bone cancer, hemangiosarcoma, blood cancer, spleen, liver, heart, and then also the lymphosarcoma. And there are certain breeds now we're doing things like ovary sparing spays. After spaying, we're putting them on hormone replacements. There's dogs are doing vasectomies. But once again, those are just let me name a few breeds. Golden Retriever, Labrador Retriever, Irish Wolfhounds. It is not every breed. So when people come to me with a Yorkie and say, geez, I want to do an ovary sparing spay because I read on the Internet Spaying causes cancer. Well, first of all, it doesn't. What actually causes the cancer, one of the triggers, is luteinizing hormone. And that's put out by the pituitary. And if you have one of those charts, all of you can pull it up, of a normal bitch of cycle where you have the follicle-stimulating hormone dropping, estrogen going up, and you get this little 12 to 24-hour spike of luteinizing hormone, which causes the eggs to go, and then you have the progesterone go up. Well, if you spay or neuter a male because there's no feedback to the brain, the luteinizing hormone goes up and stays up. And we also think this is now the cause of bitches that leak urine after they're spayed. It's luteinizing hormone. So there are certain breeds where I have serious conversations with people who come in saying, okay, what should I do? Should I spay? Should I do a bariectomy? Should we do an ovary sparing spay? Should we do a vasectomy? Should we be a neuter? But those are individual specific problems with specific individuals. They are not a encompassing all breeds, all individuals, and it's actually a very specific group of individuals. I really appreciate that. Unfortunately, there's not a one-size-fits-all answer when we often want one. There is not. And maybe that should be the whole purpose of our talks here, is to tell people there is not one-size-fits-all in what's your problem with your frozen semen not working may not be my problem because my bitch is nine years of age. And why doesn't the frozen semen work? You know, all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of factors that come to play. Yeah. Okay. Well, this was fantastic. 
Thank you so much. Thank you everyone who sent in questions ahead of time and who sent in questions during the session. I also want to alert everybody. We have a new feature on the Good Dog website in the Good Breeder Center. Click on health and we have our breeding FAQs. So if you have questions, you can submit them there and we are gathering resources related to the questions you always ask. So you can find those resources there, including links to some of Hutch's previous webinars and some of his choice pearls from previous interviews. So Dr. Hutch, thank you again for entertaining all of these questions. Well, remember, there's always too many dogs, but never enough good dogs. So thank, thank you. you, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you want to hear more from Hutch, then please go to the link in the show notes. That will take you to our Good Breeder Center, where we have the complete webinar from our discussion with Hutch. Mm -hmm.